0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, how is everybody? All right, that's a hearty morning. Good job. I'm so excited to be here. When I hear that song, man, I love music. Music brings back memories for me. Maybe this weekend, the... You'll hear God Bless America, or you'll hear different patriotic songs, but when I think of that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, I think back to my Sunday school class growing up with Mrs. Warfel teaching me about the Bible. I think of my parents instilling truths in me, and I had this faith of a child that was just... Well, similar to what Pastor Matt shared last week that, you know, just grew up believing. Maybe you're not in that place. Maybe you're watching at home online for the first time and you're checking out Jesus. You're checking out the Bible. You are in a great place. Maybe you're in this room and you have some questions. And so we have hopefully some encouragement for you here today because I was in that place, that childlike faith, and then I went to college. And that's when... You're in a different world, right? It's this world and then all of a sudden I'm in this world. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to be a part of a group called Crew. Any high school, middle school, uh, college students in the room, find a church whenever you go to, if you go to a school like that, find a group that can be your home. Because honestly, I found it that first week and that was my home. I had this group of students that I got to go eat dinner with at 11 o'clock at night and we'd do road trips together. And it was just such an amazing community that I was a part of, and it was based on faith. And so I trusted my community so much that when they said, we're taking a spring break trip to Panama City Beach, Florida from Syracuse, New York, I said, I'm in. And when they said, you can actually raise support and we will, people will pay for your trip, I said, I'm definitely in. Free trip to Florida my freshman year, let's do it. And so we did. And so 23 students from Syracuse University all got on two Winnebago's. So think of the mini Winnie, that's what it was called on the side. And there we were, 11 in one Winnebago and 12 in the other. And we all journeyed down to Florida together. And I was excited for that trip. In the doorway of the Winnebago as we were about to load was a guy named Tim. He was a grad student. I was a freshman. And I looked at him, our 100-person group. I'd never run into Tim those first six Uh, months of college. And so I looked at him and I said, who are you? I was like, who's this guy going on the trip with with us? And he looked at me and said, who are you? And I was like, great, 24 hours with this guy. (laughs) In a Winnebago, it's gonna be awesome. But little did I know that Tim would become such a pivotal person in my spiritual journey, in in my life. Uh, About six hours into our trip, we'd talked a little bit and we were sharing a pizza somewhere in Maryland on the way down to Florida. And I was just texting with him this past week, and and he said, that was the Mountain Dew trip. And I was like, the Mountain Dew trip? I forgot all about it. What a great reference. And so we have Mountain Dews here today to take a look at this great experience. Pay no attention to what's falling out of the bag. That will be for later. (laughs) So we had this trip. And of course, as a college student, you need Mountain Dew. And especially when you're taking a 24 hour trip on a Winnebago, you need a Mountain Dew. And so the first gas station, I bought one Mountain Dew and they had this contest going that you twist off the cap and one in six people will win another Mountain Dew. And so I twisted off the cap somewhere probably in Pennsylvania. Oh, one in six, I'm a winner. And so I drank my Mountain Dew. We got back into Winnebago. We drove another four or five hours, got out. I turned in my one cap. Open the next one, sure enough, another free Mountain Dew. I did this five times in a row, through like 13 states. I didn't pay for Mountain Dew till Tuesday. (laughs) It was unbelievable, and so when I, I, at this point I'm just assuming that every Mountain Dew I get is gonna be free, and so when I actually unscrewed the sixth one, or seventh one, whatever it was, and it wasn't free, I was like, oh man, I gotta pay for that? But it was amazing, I won all these Mountain Dews and we joked because we were 23 college Christian students that we, it's God's odds, you know, we're going on this spring break trip, where we're gonna tell people about Jesus and he's given us Mountain Dew along the way and it it's such a beautiful thing and it was awesome, it was so much fun. And so Tim reminded me of that and little did I, I mean Tim also helped us in the adoption of our daughter 13 years after that conversation. Tim was the first person that I did a Bible study with I was 20 and he said, hey, let's read Proverbs together. And so each day we'd read a chapter of Proverbs and we'd talk about it. And yeah, so newsflash, I'm Andy, Connections Pastor in charge of groups here at Kingsway and I didn't do a formal Bible study till I was 20. You're welcome here if you've never done anything like that. We are with you and you have the opportunity to engage in this community just like I was engaging in that community. And so I was fired up for this trip. We were going down to Florida. We're gonna tell people about Jesus. So we got down there. And that first Monday, 10 o'clock in the morning, I went out on the beach with my advisor. There were over a thousand students from crew groups all across the country. And our job was to go out on the beach and we had a five question survey to get a conversation started about God. Very awkward. I don't know that I'd recommend it, but you know, maybe in some situations it works. I really like what we did last month with our neighboring series where you just love people that are around you and in your path, and then God's gonna do the work. I don't like, there's awkwardness in that too, but, but I like that better. But anyway, this is what we were supposed to do. So I went up to this guy, he had a beer in each hand, 10 o'clock in the morning, by himself, already under the influence, and Nick said, you wanna talk to him? <laughs> okay, so we did, and my first question was, do you believe in God? And he said, no. Oh. Really? Okay. So if it's a boxing match, it was just a little upper, you know, a little jab to the jaw. I've got my next question. How about the Bible? What do you think of that? Everyone believes in the Bible, right? And you said, "Oh, it's a bunch of fairy tales, mythology," and that was like an uppercut. I mean, I was staggering. I was going close to the mat already. How in the world? Like, I was so sheltered, and I'd never experienced even in a huge public high school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. People believed in God. They believed in the Bible. What is? what is this guy saying? And I was staggered, I was knocked down. I went through questions three and four again, they weren't great answers, he didn't want to engage, he didn't care, he didn't believe, but like a good American college student, we were gonna get through that survey, so number five, monotonely I asked, do you wanna have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Nope, okay, down the beach we go. I couldn't get out of that conversation fast enough because how am I going to make it through the rest of this week when this guy's raising questions that I hadn't raised, or even if I had raised them, they wouldn't be necessarily accepted. We can't doubt our faith. We just got to believe. And so I hid the rest of that week. I I rooted for rainouts, because if it's raining, you don't have to go on the beach to talk to people about Jesus. And we had a couple rainouts. I went to that soccer outreach where we got to play soccer with people, and hey, maybe conversations will start about God. I'm not saying anything. I just got to get through the week and get home and then figure it out. And I was ashamed, and I was embarrassed. And maybe you're watching today, and, and you find yourself in that camp that everyone thinks I'm a Christian. Everyone thinks I have this amazing faith, but I have doubts and I have questions. Where do we take those? I took them to Nick, my advisor, because he had invested in me and I knew I could trust him with the hard stuff. I knew I could be vulnerable and say, I'm really having doubts about my faith. And Nick said, that's good that you're bringing that to me. And so students in the room, you're going to come to a point, maybe you're there now that You need to make the faith your own and you need to investigate and you need to pray and ask God, what do you have for me, God? Are you real? He's big enough for those questions. That spring break trip, have we shown the picture yet? I don't know if we need to show the picture. It's an awful picture, but we'll show it if they have it. If not, that's okay. I just teased the picture. There it is. I won't show you which one's me because it's embarrassing. (laughs) 1998, terrible haircut. Um, good stuff. All right, we can move on now. (laughs) So I had to be confronted with that that fact. The question that I had to answer was, do I really want to believe? And maybe that's your question today. Do you really want to believe the Bible's true, that the Bible tells you so, like the song says? Do you really want to have a God that created the universe leading you? Maybe you don't, maybe you were brought here by somebody else, you don't want anything to do with Jesus and that's okay too because God can meet you there in your doubts and in your not wanting to believe. He's done it before. But if you find yourself on the precipice, do you really wanna believe? That's the question we'll ask because we wanna know, does the Bible really tell us that Jesus loves us and can we trust it? So let's start with facts. That's a good thing. Uh, Dr. Greg Boyd is a guy who wrote a book called Letters from a Skeptic. And this is a book that I read with two of my friends. And I always encourage you to read a book together, just like I did Proverbs with Tim, just like I read this book with my friends. So much better to read in community because you learn so much more. At least I do, and I think you will as well. And so in this book, it's between a dad who's an atheist in his 60s, doesn't believe in God, and a son who's a professor of theology up in Minnesota who does. And they have these letters where they write back and forth. This was before email. This was in the 80s or 90s. And so they're writing letters and there'll be a response to the letter. And so in one of those letters, the son tells his dad this. He says, why believe in God in the first place? I have a lot of reasons, dad. Some of these come from the head while others come from the heart. Some involve sophisticated philosophical reasoning, while others come straight from the gut. Facts and feelings meet. God made us whole human beings. A lot of us are either, you know, we gravitate towards feelings or we gravitate towards facts and we have strengths, but God made us human, he made us whole, and so God speaks to both parts of us, all the parts of us. So here's a fact. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies that were spoken in the Old Testament. What does that mean? A prophecy is a prediction. And so hundreds and sometimes a thousand years before Jesus was born, there are documents, there are writings about who the Messiah, the one that came to save Israel would be, that's Jesus, who he would be, the things around his life and the things he would do. Over 3,000 predictions. 300. I just, I just totally was wrong. <laughs> 300. So let's take a look what that means. This is all Old Testament. These are the different predictions that were then fulfilled in the New Testament. Hard to really fully grasp this, so we're gonna try and make it a little more real. My second prop, thanks to Danielle and Chris Smalley for putting this together for me. This is two feet of chocolate gold coins. Yes, you can eat them after service. Nine o'clock could not. Two feet. There's a guy named Peter Stoner who said the odds of Jesus, of somebody fulfilling over 300 prophecies, was one in that number. (laughs) 10 to the 17th power, so all those zeros. For reference, my odds of getting five straight Mountain Dews was one in seven, 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 six. So that's a great number, that's amazing, but that is really amazing. So Peter said, this is how we do this. We take a stack of gold, of, of silver dollars, we chose gold chocolate coins for everyone's eating pleasure afterwards. We stack it two feet high, and then first of all, can you imagine just putting stacks of these all around the room where the whole floor is covered with stacks of these marking an X on one and then blindfolding somebody and telling them to go find it? Can you imagine this room, the balcony, maybe even out in the hallway, all filled with these coins? That's a lot, right? But that wasn't the example. The example was filling the entire state of Texas with two-foot stacks of coins, marking an X on one, and then shuffling them all around, blindfolding somebody and saying, hey, walk across the entire state of Texas, find that one coin, and that is the odds that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies, all those predictions that came true. It's impossible, right? Texas is over 630% bigger than... In the state of Indiana. Like we understand odds a little bit in our culture because gambling is all around us. It's now legal in the state of Indiana when you're a certain age to gamble. And so we see websites, we see billboards as we drive down 70, advertising all these different places where you can gamble legally on your device or computer. Do you think gambling's such a big business because people are good at making predictions? No. They're making so much money because we can't predict a game or we can't predict a dice roll or we can't predict a card game because it's so hard for us to predict the future. Associated Press, a very reputable news source in some cases, but they give some good advice here. The gambling industry in the United States is estimated to be $110 billion in 2020 because we can't make predictions very well. They're making money off us. Listen to this stat, 23 million Americans go into debt because of gambling, and their average loss is estimated to be around $55,000. The gambling industry is thriving because we can't make a prediction. There was a great game, if you don't like the Patriots, back in 2018, it was New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins. New England was favored by a touchdown Final seconds, Miami has it on their own 20-yard line. They have to go 80 yards. It's not gonna happen, but it does happen. A pass, then two flips, and all of a sudden, Kenyon Drake runs into the end zone for a touchdown. Huge upset. Everyone thought, especially at that point in the game, New England had it wrapped up, but we can't even predict the most predictable things. Big favorites lose. People get injured. It's so hard, and yet, God's odds are the best. So today, we're gonna look at some of these predictions, some of these prophecies, and see how they came to be. Next week, Pastor Matt's gonna talk about a predictive prophecy from Isaiah. What a predictive prophecy is, a prophet says this is what's going to happen. It's very clear that it is a future prophecy, a future prediction. An example, that's Isaiah 53, verses four and five. Surely he took on our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah's predicting the way Jesus would die. Today we're looking at Psalm 22. If you have a Bible, feel free to open that up. We'll also have all the words on the screen. But Psalm 22 is not a predictive prophecy. It is a prayer from David, written 1,000 years before Jesus was born, 1,000 years before he was born. And in this alone, we see 20 characteristics of Jesus in this simple prayer by David. You might be saying, "Eh, how do I know it's true? How How do I know this prayer really existed? Well, the community knew this prayer existed and it was documented on something called the Dead Sea Scrolls Fascinating story, if you wanna do some research. Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947. They were actually written down, passages from the Bible. They were some of the Old Testament passages that were written down between 100 and 200 BC. That's before Jesus lived. These were documented on tablets. They were together. These documents, these, this library of Old Testament writings and other artifacts were hidden away in a cave between 66 and 70 AD. So Jesus rose from the dead, died, then rose from the dead sometime in the 30s AD. So 30 years later, this group of Jewish folks, they were gonna die because of a Jewish revolt, but they wanted to preserve their historical and their biblical documents, and so they hid them in a cave. And in 1947, a shepherd came along, threw a stone, And heard something crash in the cave. It was an artifact breaking. And he discovered these amazing documents that have been historically accurate and authenticated. It's an amazing story. Isn't it cool that a shepherd discovered the prayer of David, a shepherd. And David is then quoted by another shepherd, Jesus, who calls himself a good shepherd. God's odds. Only God could write that story. And so Psalm 22 is what we'll look at, and it's a prayer. It's a prayer of lament and protest. But what does that mean? As a society, do we lament very well? We'll go to the grave site. You know, We'll be sad for somebody. If it's someone that died that's really close to us, it'll, it's gonna linger, but we don't know what to do with that sometimes. We especially don't know what to do with the loss of a friend. How do we support them? Protests, you know, we, we can be very vocal as a society in protest, but do we, do we do what David did? Kathleen O'Connor said that prayers of lament name what is wrong and what's out of order in God's world. They name what's wrong and what's out of order in God's world. There's power in doing that and looking around in your community and saying, man, I feel what's wrong here. I f- I need prayer for the situation. To do it in your community, whether it's your group or your family. But don't do it just to complain. Don't do it on Facebook to get your opinion out there about what's wrong with the world. Do it so that we can help the situation along and that's what we see David do in Psalm 22. It's a prayer from a shepherd and a king. We hear the voice of David. We hear the voice of Jesus. Maybe you'll hear your voice today as we read Psalm 22. In my Bible, there's like a little heading and it says, for the director of music to the tune of the Doe of the morning, it's a Psalm of David. Do you know that song? The Doe of the morning? Have you heard that on the radio recently? No, but you know what? They had, not on the radio, but they had sung it. It was a song within their community that they knew. It's like singing Born in the USA on the 4th of July for us. Whenever there was a time to lament and to cry out and to say, what's wrong with this world? They would go to Psalm 22. And so David begins in a very dark place. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. What do you hear? Anguish, loss, fear, nobody's listening. I'm all alone. God, where are you? Utter despair. David felt it. Jesus must have too, because he recited these words on the cross when he was naked, hanging, almost dead. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wanna point out a pattern in this psalm that we see in Old Testament poetry. I've seen it in Job as I've read through with my friends recently, we're in Job 22 right now, but it's this idea of lamenting where you declare what is wrong, then you remember who God is. That's so key in the lamenting process is to remember the foundation, to remember what has you grounded in your life. For us, it's God here at Kingsway. It's a biblical processing. And so verse three, we see that turn a little bit, yet you are enthroned, as the Holy One, you, talking about God, are the one Israel praises and your ancestors put their trusts And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted you, they you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David needs to remember who God is. He needs to remember the community that has seen God at work. So many times in our lives when things are going badly, we feel alone and isolated. The devil loves isolation. He wants you in a corner, by yourself, not talking to anybody because we are made to be in community. We are made to be encouraged. We are made to be just sat with when we're mourning. We don't need an answer. We just need to know people are with us and care about us. And here at Kingsway, we care about you. We have groups for you to get engaged in. We have communities for you because that's such a perk of Christianity. Yes, we get to go to heaven. Yes, we have salvation. Yes, we have the, the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have all these good things. We have each other. We are not alone, friends. So if you're watching at home online, you're not alone. Even if you're all by yourself in your room watching, there's a little number in the app. It might not appear on yours, but in some it does. and it it shows there's other people watching with you right now. We are with you watching here in this room. If you're watching down the road, you didn't watch this all by yourself, other people watch with you. And so David is remembering the ways that God has brought his people through. He's remembering the great men and women, the smart men and women, the people that were broken that God changed. You're not alone. But I love that this is real. It's not over. So he didn't just lament and then, okay, I remember who God is and everything's better. Like, it takes time. It's a process for us to work through that sometimes. And so David goes back to lamenting. Verse six says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, they shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This might sound like whining, but David's like actually under attack. Like he did some wrong things in his life. He owned up to it, but we all have. But he's under attack by enemies that want to crush him and want to stop the kingdom of God from advancing. So he's not whining, he's just lamenting. He's lamenting his situation and he is working through emotionally to get to a place where God will give him peace. And sometimes that takes a long time. But it's good to say that. What's interesting to me is this language. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. We hear this same conversation a thousand years later when Jesus is helpless on a cross and it's not Jesus conducting the conversation. He, he couldn't like manipulate people to say what needed to be said for the prophecy to be fulfilled. They were just saying it. So we look in Mark from the New Testament, chapter 15. Listen how familiar this sounds. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, being Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are gonna destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross, save yourselves. In the same way the chief priests and teachers of the law, those are the guys that really knew Psalm 22. And they had probably led that song in worship sometimes when someone had died. They knew that, and yet here they are. They, they mocked Jesus among themselves, saying he saved others, but he can't save himself. How ironic. And if that was just one piece of irony, we could be like, oh, you know. But it all happens over and over and over, 300 times over, the entire state of Texas. David continues, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. That would happen if you're on a cross and you're trying to breathe and your bones are popping. That sounds like something that might've happened. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd like a dry, broken piece of clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Who who are you picturing right now? Are you picturing David or Jesus? Because it's both. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Roman crucifixion wasn't around when David wrote this, a thousand years before Jesus. Interesting. All my bones are on display. That happens when you're naked. People stare and gloat over me. Remember they yelled crucify him. They divide my clothes amongst them. They cast lots from my garment. We see Jesus experience all throughout these words. It's amazing that this was written a 1,000 years before, that we have documentation that it was well before Jesus was born. We see the predators surrounding him. We see his mouth dry. I remember, he was offered vinegar to drink when he was on the cross. We see his hands and feet pierced. We see a public spectacle. We see people staring, gloating. Even the dividing of his clothes and the casting of lots was all predicted. And we can't get a game right. And I love sports. (laughs) It's amazing. So many random predictions are not so randomly fulfilled. We talked about songs earlier and I love how a song can trigger memories. And I love how this song of David probably triggered some memories from the Jewish community because they had sung Psalm 22 so often and, and the way they see life is different from how we see it. We see it linear, in a linear fashion. There's a timeline, there's a beginning and an end and there's events in the middle. They see things circularly and so if God is working here and we remember that event, And then we see similar instances, maybe God's working again. Remember between the end of the Old Testament is like three to 400 years before Jesus comes. It was the, the silent time where God didn't speak. And so they were waiting for God to speak. They were waiting for circumstances. They were waiting for a prayer to be revealed in a Messiah. And so they hear Jesus. Say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they hear the voice of David. They see bones out of joint in a public spectacle, and they see piercings. And they wonder is God working here? The late Charles Briggs, who was a professor at Union Theological Seminary, said that these sufferings of Psalm 22 transcend those of any historical sufferer, with the single exception of Jesus Christ. What's that mean? No one suffered like Jesus. There's been so much suffering in our world. There's so much suffering today, but nobody suffered like Jesus. And no one was predicted to suffer like Jesus suffered a thousand years before he did. Our videographer, Derek Hughes, put together just a short video to compare those Psalm 22 prophecies with the fulfillment in the New Testament. Take a look.
1: Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
0: Do you want to believe? If this is true, if a God that created the universe and created each one of us and has all these ridiculous odds that we can't do on our own, if he wants a relationship with you, do you wanna believe? I had to come to that point. And so after three to four months of searching, I, I had a very real encounter with God and it confirmed that he is real and that he is leading my life. And it was beautiful, and I was baptized in my pastor's pool behind his house. And that was the moment when my parents' faith was no longer my parents' faith, but it was my faith journey. And for each of us, we come to that point where we decide, I am in on you, God. I am in on this community. What's your choice today? What's your choice today? I wanna to close with just a couple thoughts. I still don't understand everything about God. As I was studying for this, it was air apparent that I, I had no idea of all the answers, but it was fascinating to dig in, to do research, and I still don't know everything about him, but you know what, I know him. I've gotten to know his character. I've gotten to know his peace. I've gotten to know his love. I've gotten to know his people, and I see God in you as you care for others. As you tell me stories of how God's changing your life, I see God, he is real, and he loves you. Dr. Greg Boyd, in the book Letters from a Skeptic, said this, my soul was and is filled with the unconditional love of Jesus. Unconditional love is the only life source for the soul, the only medicine for its wounds. An intellectual answer could never do that. Let's pray. God, you are overwhelming. You are more than anything we could ever think or imagine. And what's most amazing to me is your love for me, your love for each person, your children. You just want your family back. And we we surrender. I surrender, God, once again. I'm yours. Guide me and use me. I pray for each person here. I pray for each person watching that they would know your love, they would know your presence and that their heart and their mind What a line! Thank you that you meet us where we're at and you walk patiently with us through the questions, through the doubts, through the failures, through the hurts, Thank you that you heal up our wounds. In Jesus' name, amen. This is going to lead into a time of communion, which I think is beautiful because that's what we just talked about Jesus dying on the cross. And so feel free, if you're at home, grab a cracker, some juice, and we're going to take it out. I'm going to finish the story because we didn't finish Psalm 22, because I want you to see how it ends. In verse 20, it says, deliver me, David says, from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And you know what? God does. Because verse 22 says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I'll praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants, honor him. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but has heard his cry for help. And then Jesus' story ends pretty good too. He raises to life. He dies, but he comes back. And he appears on this road to Emmaus with some guys and he kind of shields his face. I don't know how he did that. They didn't recognize him, but they go down this road. They invite Jesus to dinner. And in verse 30 of Luke 24, Jesus, it says this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread He gave thanks and he broke it, giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Is your heart burning this morning? What's God had to say to you? We break the bread just like Jesus broke the bread and something powerful happens as we do this in community together. So take the bread, take the juice, and reflect on what God's doing. He's here to answer your questions. He's with you.